Just want to welcome everybody to our online experience of worship today at First Baptist Church Fisherville. Just want to thank you for joining us, whether you're on uh, YouTube, whether you're on our Facebook page or on our website. Just want to thank you for joining with us and worshiping with us today. Uh, just because of the President's guidelines over the last uh, week, just we'll be continuing doing this at least through the month of April as of right now. Just want to let you know that. But also, if you can check out our stuff on our website, uh, we'll have encouraging words, uh, encouraging our sermons. We'll have our prayer requests. You can be able to give on our website. You can do all those things on our website. So check our stuff out on our website and also check out our Facebook group uh, pages. Uh, we'll have some different things going on there, different ministries. Have some exciting things. So just check that out and this, just uh, join us as we worship together today uh, online here together. Oh, oh, oh. 
want to invite you just for a moment to think in your mind about what might be the most important events in all of history. If we were to compare lists, I'm guessing that many of us would have a lot of the same events on our lists, dates like maybe July 4th of 1776, or D-Day, or the Battle of Gettysburg. But without a doubt, no greater event ever took place in the course of history than the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And no week ever had more importance than the eight days that took place between Palm Sunday and Resurrection Sunday. I mean, if we look at the Bible and we want to know how important that one week was to the writers of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, just consider this. Jesus' life um, was about 33 years. He lived around 33 years. His ministry took place over the course of three years. But if you look at the chapters of the Gospels, one-third of all the chapters of the Gospels deal with one week of Jesus' life, that week between Palm Sunday and Resurrection Sunday. Now, I know this year's celebration of Easter is going to be different for all of us um, as we can't gather together physically as we normally would. But my prayer is that as we gather together in our homes with our families and as we slow down from our normal routines, that the Lord would give us a new understanding, a clearer understanding of who our Savior is and the cost of our salvation and the great work that Jesus Christ did on the cross. Today, I want us to look at Matthew chapter 21. We're going to look at the scene on Palm Sunday of when Jesus entered Jerusalem. So open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 21. We're going to begin to read in verse 1 and read down through verse 11. Matthew writes, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming, humble and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. This morning, I want us to consider um, especially that prophecy that Matthew mentions in chapter 21, verse 5. Uh, that prophecy comes from the book of Zechariah, in chapter 9, verse 9. And there, this is what we read. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The Lord inspired Zechariah in that moment to give us a prophecy about the Messiah, Jesus. And from that verse, I want us to see four key truths about our Messiah, Jesus Christ. Number one, understand this. Jesus is king, and because of that, we must surrender to Him. 
Zechariah tells us there, Behold, your king is coming. Jesus is our rightful king. Now what makes Jesus the king of kings and the Lord of lords, like we read in the book of Revelation numerous times? I'll tell you what it does. Simply the fact that He is the Son of God. God's only Son. In John chapter 1, verse 1, it says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And then down in verse 14, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is God in the flesh, the Son of God, the Creator, the Sustainer of all the universe. And that simple fact gives Him the sole right to the throne. Jesus is King. And let me tell you this also. He is King regardless of what we think. His position is not up for debate. It's not in question. He cannot be overtaken. He cannot be overthrown. He is King. And Paul tells us that no matter what we think, there is going to come a day, he says in Philippians chapter 2, in which at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is King, and we must surrender to His rule. Point number two, Jesus is righteous, so we must worship Him. Zechariah tells us that the Messiah would be the righteous one. Jesus Christ is the righteous one. He is the holy one. He is the blameless one. He is the perfect one. And His righteousness is of His own doing. If you were to look through the Bible and look at the kings of Israel, there was never a king in Israel who was truly righteous in his own right, by his own doing. Saul certainly was not righteous. Solomon wasn't righteous. Even David, the man who was after God's own heart, was not righteous on his own. They were all sinners. Many of those kings, if you look down through the history of Israel, were made righteous by their faith in God, but they were not righteous of their own doing. We might claim to be the kings of our own dominion, but we can't claim to be righteous on our own. Because the Bible tells us in, in Romans chapter 3, verse 10, that there is none righteous, no, not one. We have all sinned. We have all fallen short of God's glorious standard of perfection and righteousness. But Jesus Christ, the Messiah, He is the righteous one. He is the sinless Son of God. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22 tells us, He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in His mouth. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, the Apostle Paul writes this, For our sake He made Him to be sin, who knew no sin, that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. We are unrighteous. We are sinners. We cannot make ourselves righteous. But Jesus Christ, the righteous one, came and lived a sinless life, went to the cross bearing our sin on His shoulders so that He might make us righteous. And because of that, we must worship Him. We must worship Him. That word worship means worth-ship. It means to ascribe worth to anything, to celebrate something's greatness, to praise someone's greatness. You know, we worship a lot of things even though we might not call it worship. We praise a lot of things. We celebrate things like ball teams and great athletes because of their greatness on the field. 
We celebrate, we praise great musicians for great concerts and great performances. But Jesus, the righteous one, outshines them all. And he deserves our worship. Point number three, Jesus is Savior. And therefore, we must place our faith in him. Zechariah tells us that the Messiah holds salvation. He has salvation. I want us to think for a moment about the context of what's going on in Matthew chapter 21 on that Palm Sunday. The crowds in Jerusalem would have been enormous on that day. Jews from all over Palestine would have traveled back to Jerusalem in order to celebrate the Passover that week. On top of that, large crowds were following Jesus around because just before that, he had brought Lazarus back from the dead and people wanted to see what was going on. And so the excitement, the energy, was, the emotion was running high. And many of these followers who were crowded around Jesus began to think to themselves, maybe this is our Messiah. In Matthew chapter 21, verse 9, they begin to cry out these words, Hosanna to the Son of David. That word Hosanna there means give salvation now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. They didn't come up with that song on their own. That's a quote of Psalm chapter 118, which was widely regarded by Jews in that day to be speaking of the Messiah. These people in this crowd were beginning to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. They believed that Jesus had come to give them salvation. The only problem was they were confused as to the type of salvation that Jesus was bringing. They thought Jesus was coming to sit on an earthly throne. They thought Jesus was coming to be their warrior king, the one who was going to run the Romans out of town. But that wasn't what Jesus had in mind. Even this visual of the palm branches being waved would have taken an Israelite's mind back to their, their history lessons when they read of Judas Maccabeus, who in 167 B.C. fought for the freedom of Israel and helped Israel gain their freedom from the Greeks. And so these people were beginning to think, maybe Jesus, maybe He is our warrior king. But Jesus did not come to give political salvation. He came to give eternal salvation. He did not come just to set the Israelites free from Roman rule. He came to set us all free from the rule of sin in our own lives. And Jesus is the only way to salvation. Acts chapter 4 verse 12 says this, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus is the giver of salvation. But to receive that salvation, you must place your faith and trust in Him. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9 tells us this, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. No other religion can save you from your sin and from the hell that is in your destiny. No amount of good works can undo the consequence of your sin. Your only hope is Jesus Christ, the giver of salvation. And the only way that you might receive that salvation is not through works. You can't purchase it. It is only by placing your faith and trust in Jesus and the work that He did on the cross. Point number four, finally. Jesus is peaceful. And so we must trust Him. Back when the United States entered the second Iraq war in 2003, there was a military phrase that became very popular, shock and awe. 
And it was a military idea that in order to gain a quick victory, um, our forces would need to overwhelm them, would need to dominate the opponent very quickly, and that in doing so, and by giving them shock and awe, our enemy would be overwhelmed. They would be defeated mentally just as they were defeated physically. When God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to this earth, He did not engage in shock and awe. Instead, He sent a peaceful Savior. We can see it in the very animal that Jesus chooses to ride as He comes into Jerusalem, a donkey. Now, Jesus was making an intentional statement here. You have to understand that nowhere else in the Gospels do we ever read of Jesus riding on an animal as He went from one town to another. Everywhere He went, He walked. And so He did not physically need an animal to ride to come into Jerusalem. He did so because He wanted to make a statement. And in the ancient Near East, if a king was riding into a city and he came riding on a donkey, that meant he was coming to bring peace. But if a king was coming into a city and he meant to bring war, he would come riding in on a horse. Maybe you've seen old movies of ancient times and those kings would, would be um, strapped with a sword and riding on the back of a horse because that was a symbol of strength, that was a symbol of power. Well, these crowds wanted a warrior king. They wanted a, they wanted a, a battle. They wanted a fighter. But Jesus, the Son of God, came peacefully riding on the back of a beast of burden, a donkey. Our King Jesus came His first time as the Lamb of God, the gentle, humble Lamb of God who came to lay down His life for us, to shed His blood on a cross, to give of Himself so that we might receive salvation. And because of that, we must trust Him. We can trust Him. We must place our complete faith and trust in Jesus Christ and the work that He has done on the cross. Because let me tell you this. Jesus came as a lamb the first time, but when He comes again, He will come as a lion, bringing judgment and destruction to all of those who deny Him. This peaceful Messiah came to provide a way into salvation. But there is no mistaking it. He also came to create division. There will be those who place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and receive salvation. But reality tells us that there will always be those who reject Jesus, who do not believe in Jesus, who do not, do not place their faith in Jesus. We can see it even in the weeks of, we can see it even in the events of the Passion Week. Many of these individuals on one day were declaring that Jesus is Lord, that He is the Messiah, and they're wanting to crown Him as King. And five days later, they're crying out, crucify Him. Crucify Him. In one moment they thought He was Lord, and the next moment they want Him dead. But what about you? What are you doing with Jesus? Do you recognize Him as King? Do you understand that He is the giver of salvation and He is the only one who can give you salvation? Have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation? Have you received the gift of eternal life that only He can give? You know, if we were to go out into public on a regular day in which people can actually go out into public and not during the coronavirus, and we were to begin to ask people what they thought about Jesus, you would likely find that even many non-Christians would have good things to say about Jesus. They would say things like, He's a good teacher. 
or that he taught kindness and compassion, that he stood up for the needy and the poor. But let me tell you this, admiring Jesus is not the same as surrendering to Jesus. And salvation doesn't come just because you admire Jesus as a good man. Salvation comes because you place your faith and trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. And so today, I'm not asking you if you admire Jesus as a good teacher or as a great human being. I'm asking you if you have surrendered your life to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the one and only true Messiah, Jesus Christ. Have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus for salvation? If not, why not today? If you're listening to this and you realize that you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation, let me tell you how you can do that. First, you must admit that you're a sinner. I told you a moment ago that the Bible tells us that none of us are righteous. No, not one. We've all sinned. Romans 3.23 says we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. We all are sinners, and that sin separates us from God. And so we must admit our sin, because if we don't admit our sin, we'll never believe we actually need a Savior, because we don't think we need saving. And so first we must admit our sin, then we must believe on Jesus Christ. And when I say that, this is what I mean. I mean that we must believe that He is the sinless Son of God, who was born of a virgin, who came and lived a sinless life, died on a sinner's cross, bearing the weight of my sin and your sin on His shoulders. And that he rose from the grave three days later, proving that everything he said and everything he did was true. Do you believe that? And lastly, you must confess Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, asking him to forgive you of your sins, to cleanse you, to make you new, and to become the Lord and Savior, the master of your life. If you're ready to do that today, I want to invite you to pray this simple prayer with me. Just pray to the Lord. And when I, these words do not save you, it's the position of your heart that saves you. Pray this to the Lord. Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've done wrong and my sin separates me from you. And I cannot have eternal life in my current state. But I believe on Jesus. I believe that Jesus came to this earth, lived a sinless life and died on the cross and rose from the grave, proving that he is the son of God. And I confess Jesus and Savior and Lord. God, forgive me of my sin. Based on what Jesus did on the cross, forgive me and make me new. And come into my life. And teach me how to follow you. It's in Jesus Christ's name we do pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, I want to encourage you to do something. I want you to contact me at respond at fisherville.org. I would love to be able to share things with you on how you can begin your walk with Christ, how you can know that you are saved, how you can begin to grow in your faith in Jesus. Please, if you need to talk more about your salvation, maybe you have questions about it, contact me. Once again, that is at respond at fisherville.org.
Allow me to say thank you once again for coming to worship with us online at First Baptist Church of Fisherville. We hope you've been blessed as we've studied God's Word. If you have a decision that you've made today, if you need to reach out to one of our ministers, maybe you have a question about the gospel, maybe you, you need us to pray for you, you can contact us at respond at fisherville.org or you can visit us on the web at fisherville.org. To our members and our regular attenders, we would ask that you continue to pray for our church and continue to give to the ministry of our church. You can give three different ways. You can go online to our website, fisherville.org, and click on the Giving tab. There you'll find our secure giving portal. Or you can text gifts to us. The details are on our website. Or you can mail your offering checks in to 11893 Macon Road, Eads, Tennessee, 38028. Make plans to join us again as we worship the Lord together next Sunday and celebrate the greatest day in all of history, Resurrection Sunday. Goodbye. Mm -hmm.